Good morning. My name is Aubrey, and I'm very glad to see you. If you have a Bible, turn to John chapter 21, our gospel reading that Sam just read to us, the very last bit of John's gospel. We're, um, as, as Sam said at the beginning of the service, we're in the midst of Easter, um, the season that lasts for 50 days from the resurrection of Jesus until the day of Pentecost. And so we're in the midst of this, and every week we're giving our attention to this kind of mind-boggling fact that 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ rose from the dead, and from that moment, the world really has been different. Not just psychologically, but really different. Something has happened that changed things. And the, and the key issue is this. What happened is in Jesus' resurrection, he opened the door to new creation. He began new creation. He launched the new creation. And this is a very strange thing. And it's hard for us to believe, and it's hard for us to imagine, because we live lives saturated with storytelling. The movies we watch, the TV shows we watch, um, social media, the jokes we tell, the conversations we have with friends, and stories give a view of the world. And the stories that saturate our lives do not portray the new creation. They leave it out. And so our imaginations have been shrunken into this sterile world that our world says is the real world. But we return every Sunday to the scriptures. And hopefully throughout the week you're reading the scriptures where we're trying to saturate ourselves with the true story of the world. And the true story of the world is that 2,000 years ago, God launched the new creation. And it's so strange. It's so hard for us to wrap our minds around. So every week during the Easter season, what we've been doing is we've been looking at these conversations that Jesus has with his followers after his resurrection, and each one of them, he's just trying to get them to see and to understand what the resurrection has done, how it has altered the fabric of the universe. We've been seeing over and over in these encounters, these conversations that Jesus has with his followers after he's raised from the dead, we've been seeing that this new creation is about everything. It's about God renewing every square inch of nature and culture. There's no domain of human existence or natural existence or culture that is outside of what God is doing to make all things new. And as a result of this, because Jesus died and was raised to life again to renew everything, because of that, the church must stand in the world and refuse to abandon anything. Nothing is off limits to the gospel. Nothing is off limits to the church. There is not a single thing that doesn't need to be talked about in a church. There's not a single thing that shouldn't hold our attention. Because of Jesus, 
Everything matters. Everything is being redeemed. And so because of this, we must learn as Christians to refuse to abandon any subject, any domain, any aspect, any part of this world. We must instead enter into every single aspect of this world and call it back to God. Because God himself took on flesh and died for it. There's nothing that you know about or interact with that God did not die for. And so as a church, we enter into the world. We lay hands on every part of this world. We call it back to God. When, when it is hopeless, we call it to hope. When it is prideful, we call it to humility. We lay our hands on it and we say to it, every aspect of this world, God bless you. Be blessed. You were created by God. And that same God that created you took on flesh and died for you. And now this morning, we turn our attention to the last few verses of John's gospel. And we see that part of what he's doing in this world is not just redeeming the world, but he's redeeming us so that we can be agents of new creation in all of these difficult places in our world. What we see this morning in the last three paragraphs of John chapter 21, the last thing John registers for us about the new creation is this. Every person, each one of us, has a unique calling as agents in this world of God's kingdom. Each one of us has a calling, a particular and unique way that God made us in order to do this thing I've been talking about, to lay hands on the world and to call it to hope and a blessing. Each one of us is a unique and unrepeatable gift. And part of the great work of God in Christ is to lead you to become your true self. Now this is a remarkable thing. John's gospel that begins in the cosmos. In the beginning was the word and the word was God. It, 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 it starts huge. It ends in this most remarkably intimate place. Of, of God in the flesh. Jesus himself leading Peter to become him, his true self. That's where it ends, and it's an invitation to all of us to make that same journey. Let me show you what I mean. John chapter 21, starting in verse 20. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who had been reclining at table close to Jesus and said to him, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? And Jesus said to him, if it's my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. So remember, in the passage right before this, we looked at it last week. Jesus is on a walk with Peter on the beach, and he's given Peter a job. He's given him the job to be the leader of the church. So here's Jesus and Peter, just the two of them, walking down the beach. And God, Jesus has just said, Peter, you're to lead the church. And Peter then does this thing that all of us are familiar with. 
He looks back, sees somebody else, and says, well, what about him? What's John going to do? And Jesus' answer is, basically, that ain't none of your business. If it's my will that he remains until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. Take your eyes off of him and put them on me. And as long as you're looking at him, you're not looking at me. Now, this is really a a very natural thing that Peter does. And it helps if you step back and you notice all the times that Peter and John are together in John's gospel. They're together um, in chapter 13 and verse 23 at the Last Supper. And guess who's sitting very close to Jesus? John is. It's, It's mentioned in this passage. John is seated so close to Jesus that he's laying his head on Jesus's breast. Which is a quote in John 13 of what it says Jesus the Son is doing with the Father in John chapter 1. In chapter 1 it says Jesus is in the bosom of the Father. And then in chapter 13 it says that John is in the bosom of Jesus. And guess where Peter is? On the other side. In fact, Peter wants to ask Jesus a very personal question. Who's going to betray you? And he can't even get close enough to him that he has to ask Peter to ask Jesus. And then in chapter 18, we see them together again. And this time, John is closer to the authorities at the trial of Jesus. And Peter, in order to get into the courtyard, has to get John to give him access. Once again, John is closer to Jesus than Peter. And then in chapter 19, verse 25, at the foot of the cross, John is the only male disciple that stays. It's John... And Mary and some other women. And where's Peter? And then in chapter 20, verse 10, we saw this. um, when When the women announce the empty tomb to the disciples, Peter and John start start running. And guess who runs faster? Guess who gets to the tomb first? John does. And then guess who is the only disciple at the tomb to have faith in Jesus? John not Peter. And then finally in chapter 21, when they're fishing, guess who it is that recognizes the mysterious man at the shore? It's Jesus. It's John. And John tells Peter, that's the Lord. And then Peter says, and he jumps out of the boat and, and he heads on himself. Now, when you think about what's just happened here at breakfast, On the shore of the lake as Peter and Jesus are walking. And Jesus forgives Peter for his betrayal of him. And he's giving him this unique task of leading the church and dying a martyr's death. And then the last thing Jesus says to Peter is, this is in chapter, this is in verse 19. Notice the last thing Jesus says to Peter as they're walking along. He says, follow me. And in the very next verse, verse 20, Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following once again. John beating to the punch. Jesus calls Peter to follow me. He looks back and guess who's doing that? John. Over and over, every time they're together, John shows up Peter. Not not in an aggressive way. He just is doing it right. 
Have you ever been involved with somebody like that? And what does that do to you? Isn't it easy to see how envy has grown in Peter's heart? Don't you know what envy is like? Don't you know what it's like to look over at somebody else and wish you had their gifts, their lot in life, their abilities, their opportunities? Don't you see how perfectly natural this is for Peter to look back after he's been given this glorious calling and to say, what about him? And Jesus' answer is, that's none of your business, Peter. What I want to do with John is my own business. It's not yours. If I want him to stay around, clear up until I come again, please tell me what business of yours that is. You concentrate on following me in your special calling to take care of my sheep and don't waste any more of your time or energy looking over your shoulder at someone else. Stop comparing yourself to other people. Concentrate on your own calling and just follow me. Now, this is a remarkable kind of interpretation of human existence that John ends his gospel with. Almost as if to say, this is a journey we all go on. This journey of becoming comfortable in our own skin with who God made us to be, uh, of stop being jealous of the other person, stop comparing yourself. This, this crippling temptation to compare ourselves to others and to think that maybe somebody else has a more important role And what Jesus is saying here is exactly what we heard when Sarah read us to us from 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Each one of us has his own gift. His own gift of God's spirit. Peter and John have been on stage together for most of the important moments in the gospel. And we see them at the Last Supper. We see them together at the arrest and the trial, at the resurrection. But now their paths diverge. And it's not the calling of either one of them to look over his shoulder and to wonder why the other one is different. Part of our obedience to Christ is this. To know that we are called to follow Jesus wherever he leads us. Not wherever he leads the person next to us. God doesn't make mistakes. You're not a mistake. I know it can feel like God messed up. I know it can feel like God has messed up when he made us and these things we've gone through. It can be so easy to look with envy at that other person right next to us who doesn't have to die a martyr's death. Like, is this fair? He upstages me my whole life and I'm gonna die for you? But what God does with another person, the gifts he gives them, the role he gives them, the opportunities and callings he gives them, that is entirely up to God. You, Jesus says to you, follow me. Be you. Be who I made you to be. Peter's calling is to love Jesus by taking really good care of the flock, to be a good pastor, and to die for Jesus. That's his calling. 
John's calling, notice verse 24, is to bear trustworthy and true witness to Jesus and to write it down. That's why, that's why John was always closer. Because God was preparing an eyewitness. Not only was that why he was closer, that's why he always interpreted things right. I mean, we could trace John and Peter all the way through, and we could see how John's experiences make him the ideal author of the gospel. And we could follow Peter's experiences and see how they make him the ideal leader of the church. But the deal is, when you're going through life, you don't get to see it from that perspective. You just, you're in the weeds. Peter's calling is to love Jesus by taking good care of the flock. And so all of his experiences were equipping him to do that. John's was to love Jesus by bearing trustworthy and true witness to Jesus and writing it down. And all of his inner access was equipping him to do that. These are two very different jobs. Lead the church, write the gospel. Now it's not just Peter and John whom God calls. God has prepared for each one of you a unique and original adventure. Throughout the Bible, every time there is a story of faith, it's unique. God's creative genius is endless. Whether it's a path through the forest and you don't see any two trees the exact same or the path of a human life. God never resorts to mass-producing copies. Each life is a fresh canvas on which he uses lines and colors, shades and lights, textures and proportions that he's never used before and he'll never use again. When God knit you together in your mother's womb, he gave you a soul. He gave you your deepest identity, your truest self. In your mother's womb, God placed in you a unique blueprint, your unique identity. And you've got this span of years to discover that identity, to choose it, and to offer the unrepeatable, unique gift of yourself to this world. We don't create our calling. We receive it. We don't create our identity. We hear it from our creator. He leads us into it. The, the journey into his truest self for Peter is not a solo journey of self-identification. It is him letting the creator who redeemed him lead him to it. What we see Jesus doing with both John and Peter here is he's leading each one of them to their truest self. And this is at the heart of following Jesus. At the heart of being a disciple of Jesus is if you will really and truly follow him, he will lead you to become more fully yourself than you've ever been before. C.S. Lewis has this remarkable insight in one of his writings where he says the only place where there is homogeneity, is hell. The only place. It's in heaven. It's in the new creation where there are endless shades of blue. Where every person is fully distinct, fully themselves. 
So much of discipleship is about discovering the false mask we wear and recovering who God made us to be. When you give your love and loyalty to King Jesus, you don't lose yourself. You are saved from being someone other than who you were made to be. Follow Jesus Christ and you will go on the remarkable journey of seeing what is genuine inside of you. Without Jesus, every single one of us is lost. We are enslaved to sin, under judgment, and in desperate need of salvation. And so God's solution is not some willy-nilly grace. God's solution is is to save us and unite us with Christ and so that when we bend our knee to Jesus as Lord and call out to him for salvation, that salvation is not only from, from the consequences of our sin for all eternity, it's also a salvation from our false selves. When you bend your knee to Christ and give him your love and loyalty, you are born again. And he takes from you the crushing, hellish weight of your sin and your shame. And you receive the benefits of your sins being forgiven. You're adopted as a child of God. You are guaranteed resurrection. And you get Jesus as a good shepherd who leads you beside quiet waters, who delivers you from being who you are not made to be. Part of the miracle power of Jesus in John's gospel is those whom he heals, he rehumanizes them. God has made you and me, he's made every single one of us to do beautiful things. And if you follow him, he will lead you to discover the unique and unrepeatable gift that you are for this world. Jesus is calling you to see that there is dignity and meaning to your life, to your particular life. And the loss of your particular life is an irreplaceable loss to the world. Our Old Testament reading, Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6. Train up a child in the way that he should go. And when he's old, he will not depart from it. I, I, I grew up always believing that meant that the p- job of the parent is to teach the child the right paths of life. Right from wrong, Ten Commandments, uh, the Creed, all, all this kind of stuff that God tells us is the way we should live. And I still think it means that. But what I didn't know until about a decade ago was that... You know, Proverbs, they're like diamonds. They're, they're designed to be looked at, thought about, and turned, and looked at, and thought about from another dimension. And every angle you turn them at, it kind of opens up and shines new light. And about a decade ago, I re- began to think of this verse and to see something else in it. Train up a child in the way that he should go. That my job with Spencer... is to help her... Know who she is. What is the way she should go in life? How can I get her to stop looking, right? Over her shoulder and to see her path. My job with Silas is first help Silas to discover the Silasness of Silas. That unique, unrepeatable part of himself. Some of you have experienced this. You were raised well. You were loved well. Your parents drew out of you the wonderful, unrepeatable, unique person God made you to be. And when you are around people like this, it's so remarkable 
They don't spend their life looking in narcissistic mirrors, begging others for attention. No, you have already been attended to. And now you can attend to others. Now you feel basically good. And you always will. And you're able to do this for others, to draw out of them the wonder of who they are. Have you ever been in a relationship with somebody and it's just like this subtle vice grip of pressure squeezing you into something they want you to be? And it ravages you. But then there are these other people that we're around and it's like they broaden us. They enlarge us. They lead us out into our true selves. They don't have a plan for us they lead us and once you know who you are you no longer have a need to protect your identity or defend it or prove it or assert it it just is and that's more than enough the last words from the mouth of Jesus in John's gospel is how you get there the last thing Jesus says in John's gospel verse 22 you follow me you follow me And it's a sharp rebuke to Peter. And it's a sharp rebuke to all of us. We know from the rest of the story in the New Testament as we continue reading that Peter learned his lesson. And it's not like he was perfect after this. He really messed up big time a few few more occasions after this. But the overall trajectory of his life was healed. He's come to the point where he can say, I will not try to run my life on the lives of others. That's God's business. I will not strut about demanding that I be treated as a center of attention of my family or my neighborhood or my work. Instead, I will follow Jesus so that I can discover where I fit in and I can do what I was made to do. When we look at Peter here at the end of John's gospel, we are beginning to see a soul that is learning to stop clamoring for attention and arrogantly parading its importance, here is Jesus, such a gentle Savior, so gentle, such a good shepherd, leading Peter. In John 21, you can almost see him. He's just calming him, quieting him, so that Peter can become his true self. Our lives are lived well only When we accept the terms of our creation and we accept God as our maker and Christ as our redeemer and day by day we grow more and more into the glorious creatures God made us to be developing joy, experiencing love, maturing in peace. Jesus has conquered death. He secured justice. He offers forgiveness. And this new creation can break forth in our lives. Jesus died and was raised from the dead in order to redeem every square inch of your heart and your soul in this city, in our na- in nature and culture. And so the church must stand in the world. We must refuse to abandon any aspect of the world to its own devices. We must see the entire world as the territory where Christ builds his kingdom. And so this world that gives us so much suffering We call it back to God. We give it hope. We lay our hands on it. And we say, God bless you. And to do this, to do this well, we need Jesus to heal our souls so that we can be people who are not entering into the world, twisting it around ourselves, 
but who enter into the world enlarging it and calling it to its beautiful uniqueness. So who are you? Who did God make you to be? What is your unique role in this world? Turn to Jesus and he will lead you there. Let's pray.